Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food. Food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. All right, it's a football Friday. The Bucks travel to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals. Bucks back to 3-3, three and three. Bengals 4-3. and three. They've lost two in a row, so that should be an exciting game up there. And we've got a big weekend in college football, of course, the largest cocktail party, Florida, Georgia, in Jacksonville, big SEC game there. Clemson is at Florida State. Eh, not so good for Florida State, probably. USF at Houston, finally taking on a very good team, or at least one that they can't play around with and expect to win. And break up the Rays. Man, they lost two coaches to managerial jobs within, what, like five hours? Rocco Baldelli, the manager now of the Twins, and Charlie Montoya goes and takes over as a skipper of the Blue Jays. We've got World Series Game 3, the Red Sox, with a commanding 2-0 lead going back to Los Angeles and break up the Tampa Bay Lightning. Man, what a win they had the other night against Colorado, 1-0, one of the better NHL games of the year. The Lightning now with six wins in their first eight games there in Vegas tonight. That game starts early at 6 p.m. Eastern time, so you want to make sure you tune in for that. We've got all of that discussion and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with producer Steve Versick. Before we get started on the podcast, let me tell you about a special offer from our friends at Continental Wholesale Diamonds. Our friend Andy at Continental Wholesale Diamonds wants you to have the best time ever when shopping at Continental. So for our listeners only, Andy is offering for a limited time 20% off all jewelry prices. And folks, they already have the best prices. Don't go to the shopping mall. That's where they got the big overhead. You want to go to Continental Wholesale Diamonds, whether you seek a statement piece like maybe a gorgeous diamond necklace or Maybe you're in the quest to find that perfect engagement ring, and he's going to give you his undivided attention. Come to Continental Wholesale Diamonds today, and you score big with 20% off. That's right. All jewelry purchases. Just tell them you heard the special on Sports Day Tampa Bay. And you can bring all your jewelry there for a free cleaning. Um, you, if you've got old pieces that you don't wear anymore, bring those in and let them create a new setting that will make everyone you know very sick with envy. I'm telling you, this is where you want to go. Our friend Andy, Continental Wholesale Diamonds. They're at 1715 Northwest Shore Boulevard, Suite 150, right next to the Penthouse Club. Okay, Steve, so uh, a place you're familiar with, Cincinnati. The Bucks travel up there to the uh, Queen City, I guess. And right there on the play. mighty Ohio River. They are. It's a gorgeous venue, by the way. It's mm-hmm. one of my favorite stadiums to go to, actually. Just beautiful downtown there. And, of course, the Red Stadium is uh, right next door. Um, yeah, right across and, the parking uh, lot there. Now they've got some some stuff in between, but yeah, right there on yeah. the riverfront. It's a yeah, they are beautiful setting for both stadiums. It's gorgeous, and it's, it's supposed to be a little, I guess, a little rainy, maybe in the 40s or 50s. But I'll take that um, better than maybe the winter time or something like that in Ohio. But here's the thing, uh, you know, this this is not going to be an easy game. I don't think any of them will be easy for the Bucks the rest of the way. The Bengals are a weird team, though. I mean, they're very streaky. They're very up and down. They got off to a a pretty good start. They were four and one. They were hot as an offense, and now they've lost two in a row. And they just got blasted by Kansas City. That was going to be one of those sort of, you know, 
tell-all games, and they did not stand up to the challenge. They turned the ball over. Andy Dalton did not look good in that one. Um, so you're not really sure what you're going to get with the Bengals from week to week. That's sort of been their M.O. a little bit. Um, but I do know they can score points, and, and I think that that's the one thing the Bucks have done consistently is is move the football. And, you know, in, in fact, um, <clears throat> I was looking this up, they're, they're on a pace – it's pretty remarkable. I mean, we know that passing numbers are up and um, offense in general, points scored, all those things. But, okay, so take all of that and put it in one pile and say, all right, well, who's doing, who's doing these things the best? The Bucks have the number one passing offense, and they're on pace right now to end up with over 7,100 yards. I mean, over 7,100-something yards, which would eclipse uh, the NFL record by a good, a good portion um, and that was held by the St. Louis Rams, the greatest show on turf. So, wow. yeah, I mean, think about those. And those numbers are being up by, put up by your Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a franchise known for anything but offense. I mean, going back to, to John McKay, as far as you want to go, you know, 1979 NFC Championship game, they lose 9 to nothing. Um, offense was always an issue back in those days. And then you could go to Tony Dungy. You know, had the Rams had that greatest show on turf and had stuffed them, was going to win that NFC Championship game in 99. They were going to win that 6-5. They give up the touchdown to Ricky Prohl. They lose 11-6. to six. six. That's right, six points with that defense. Just give me 12, baby. Just give me 12. They couldn't get 12, so they lose. Rams went on to win the Super Bowl. And then, you know, even John Gruden's year in 2002, the offense came to life, but not really until the postseason. You know, when they hammered San Francisco, did okay against Philly. And then, of course, the Oakland game was out of hand, mostly because the defense had five touchdowns. So this, you know, the, the DNA is the D in the DNA is, is in Tampa Bay is about their defense. And here we are um, really since I would say, I mean, the transition happened with, with Jameis, obviously. They drafted a lot of offensive players. But, but Dirk Cutter. Um, and I know he's not calling plays now, but really everywhere he's been, he's had, you know, a top flight offense. And that's been the case ever since he got here. And I know, you know, Todd Munkin is calling it this season and they, they've even taken off further. But if you look at their personnel, it's not a secret why they're doing so well. I mean, they have really stockpiled a lot of playmakers around Jameis or in the case early in the year, Fitzpatrick, who was really, really hot player of the week, two weeks in a row. And that got it all rolling. And they really haven't slowed down. They haven't scored as many points as they probably should have because they've made mistakes and turnovers and things like that in the red zone. Um, but over 500 yards, you know, of course, they had the overtime game against Cleveland, had 95 offensive snaps. I mean, that's that's enough to tire your offense out in big time. So I look for this to be, you know, an, an up-and-down-the-field sort of game. Um, Cincinnati's beat up defensively. They've got some guys out. We know that Tampa Bay is hurting. I mean, without Quan Alexander and Gerald McCoy, looks like he'll he'll probably be out as well. Still don't have Benny Curry, so um, you know, probably come down to who 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 turns the ball over. I mean, this, these football games, Steve, have become like tennis matches. It's who can hold serve, and if you either have to kick at the end of if you have to kick at the end of a possession, you're probably going to lose. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I expect both these teams can score. Both these defenses are struggling right now. Uh, the Bengals mostly because of injury. You know, it was the defense that blew the game two weeks ago against Pittsburgh. They should have won, which is their arch nemesis. And it seems like after they play Pittsburgh, they always fall apart the few games after that, which could be a good sign for the Bucks, um, knowing that, you know, they fell apart last week against Kansas City big time in prime time. Um, and, but usually the, that hangover lasts a few weeks for the Bengals. 
Um, which has really? always been their yeah, it's always been their bugaboo. The weeks after they the Steelers games, back. it's well because usually they're they're very physical, they're very emotional, they're very tough, and they end up losing them. Uh, you know, it's what six, seven in a row they've lost to the Steelers, um, and and the Bengals hate the Steelers, and and that game's always it's one of those where the Steelers' biggest rival is not the Bengals, but the Bengals' biggest rival is the Steelers, and so it, the game always means more to the Bengals, and they lose. Ben Roethlisberger finds a way almost every time. So, but that hangover usually lasts them for several weeks. So, um, you're hoping that continues on. Uh, you know, the Bucks are on the road this week. You know, they're going to have some elements to deal with temperature and, and maybe some rain as well. Mm-hmm. Um, how that will affect the offenses in the turnovers, which we know the the Bucks are prone to give up. You know, so that that's I think the the weather could face a key in this too. I mean, to me, the amazing thing about the Bucks and, and the pace they're on with the the offense is that they're doing this without much of a running game. They're a one-dimensional offense for the most part, and they're still racking well, t- up tons totally. of yards. Yeah, totally. I mean, they, they're they first in the NFL in total yards with 449.5. I, mean, I mean, that's an average, folks. That's 450 yards a game. So, And then of that uh, 450 or so, of the passing accounts for 376 or 377 yards of it about. So, you know, nearly more than two-thirds of the yards is coming through the air. You're right. They haven't run the ball very well. Peyton Barber's a little nicked up. I mean, he didn't practice Wednesday. He was limited on Thursday. It's an ankle injury. I imagine he'll he'll come back and start. We still haven't really gotten Ronald Jones going. They haven't had to run the ball. And I mean, some of me, some of it, to me, is like, you know, it'd be great to have balance. But what is balance? You know, I mean, if if you're averaging, you know, nine yards a pass attempt and you're averaging three yards a run a rush attempt, you don't have to beat your head against the wall too long. But when you can't run the football and you go three and out, or even if you have a quick, you know, a, a couple of passes and you're in the end zone, you're putting an awful lot of pressure on a defense that needs some help. It needs some time of possession. It needs to be able to control the football. And they haven't, you know, they haven't been able to really help their defense very much. And their defense is, is you know, hanging in there. I mean, I, I think that Mark Duffner did a really good job last week taking over for Mike Smith. That's a terrible position to be put in. Um, you know, especially with the injuries he had. He didn't have Gerald McCoy. He didn't have Benny Curry. And then they lost Quan Alexander in a very emotional locker room at halftime when he tore his ACL. So, you know, all that kind of was working against Duffner, and yet they shut they shut out the Browns in the first half. Now, you know, again, the Browns, you know, that is not like the Bengals. I mean, the Bengals are a much better offense further ahead. They've had continuity. They've got more playmakers on the outside, and Andy Dalton, I think, is – at this stage, way better than Baker Mayfield, but they still had their best half of football. And you know, if they could, if they could duplicate that, and he did some things in coverage, made it simpler. I think for some of those young rookie cornerbacks, um, you know, whether it's M.J. Stewart or Carlton Davis, who I thought had his best game. If Carlton Davis stays healthy, you're going to see a guy that's going to become a really good corner in this league. I mean, he's got you know pretty good tackler, got length, um, somebody that can play off or man. So I think he just needs more and more experience. But these guys are only playing their seventh NFL game, and they have not seen, they have not played a lot of football. And in Davis's case, he's missed some games. So it's still all the elements there are, you know, um, for for a a tough day on the defensive side. But um, you know, Jameis has to play better, and Jameis has not played well on the road. I mean, I know two weeks ago when he, you know, went to Atlanta, he probably deserved a better fate. That was one of his better games statistically. Uh, Atlanta is the one place he does play very, very well. And he, and he says he gets j- jacked up to play there because it's an hour from his home. 
you know, in Alabama, uh, and a lot of family and friends go there, so it feels like a home game to him. But beyond that, not a very good uh, list of performances as far as he goes on the road. So um, it, it's just it's it's a cool. I, I think it's going to be a cool game because you don't get to see the AFC teams very much, and they have they haven't played the Bengals. Although the Bengals is one of those teams that the Bucks, if you can believe this, they're Winning percentage over the years against the Bengals, it's the second best in club history. They have a 636 winning percentage. Um, and at one point, they won six in a row, of course, when they were good between 95 and 2010 over the Bengals. So uh, it's, it's, it's a team that they've sort of had their way with at times. Um, and, and, and there is this uh, kind of a cool relationship, uh, if you will, that goes all the way back to uh, the first year in college for Dirk Cutter at Idaho State between Marvin Lewis and Dirk Cutter. These two guys have been friends, and it's a friendship that transcends football. Um, we'll let Dirk Cutter tell you about everything that him and Marvin have been through over the years in, in just a quick synopsis that he gave us uh, of their relationship. So Marvin's a year older than me, and uh, he, was, he came to Idaho State from uh, the Pittsburgh area, and he was recruited there as a quarterback. So Idaho State has an indoor field, and my high school team, the high school team I played on, we practiced after them. So we would sit in the stands and watch them practice. And Marvin was the scout team quarterback his first year. So when I committed to go to Idaho State, I was thinking me and Marvin were going to be competing for the backup quarterback job at that time. They ended up moving Marvin to defense. He became, a, I think, a three-time all-conference linebacker. Uh, when he was done playing, Marvin became a coach. By that time, my dad was the head coach at Idaho State. And uh, after I finished playing, I was a high school coach. Marvin introduced me to my wife. Uh, Marvin's wife went to school with us at Idaho State. Uh, Marvin's daughter was the flower girl in, uh, in our wedding. Marvin and I were in each other's weddings. So we, uh, we, we go back a long way. And uh, Marvin's a, a great guy. Anyone who's, who's spent time talking to him, he's a, he's a terrific coach and a, and a great guy. But uh, this Sunday, we won't be on the same side. So here's the thing. You know, they snapped the losing streak, and they've got a tough schedule ahead of them. These next two weeks are on the road before they come home and play a division-leading, currently division-leading Washington team. So I guess, Steve, both of them are, are sort of in this, this stage where the season could go either way. Well, you look at the Bucks. I mean, so you start 2-0. and You're now 3-3. and If you lose this game, you're going to be 3-4 and after starting 2-0. and 2-0 and with and your backup quarterback was in after that point. And now you've got your regular quarterback back. I mean, that's in a division where, you know, you're already in third place and everyone who wrote Atlanta off, they're one game from being 500 again. Yeah, by Sunday, the Bucks could be in the cellar. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That fast. Yes, they could be. Mm-hmm. The Bengals, meanwhile, started 4-1. and one. They beat the Ravens to start the season. They were 4-1. and one. They were leading the division. Now they're 4-3. and three. They're a half game behind Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And tied with Baltimore, and if they lose this game and go four and four after starting four and one, you know, in that division with Pittsburgh and Baltimore, and and you know they struggle with Pittsburgh, they got to play them again in Pittsburgh. Yeah, you know that's a, that's a tough task for the Bengals. I mean, they this isn't a must win game for either one, but man, you're going to feel a lot better about yourself. If you win this one, and, and the yeah. Bucks the next two weeks have division or yeah, or the the Panthers who are four and two in second place in the division, and then the Redskins who are leading the NFC East at four and two. And they're both NFC teams, and of course Carolina is an NFC South team, so you can't afford to lose any more games or many more games in the South. So you're right. I mean, it, you know, when you look at it and you say, well, you know, 
okay, if they lose to Cincinnati and beat Carolina, they're still kind of in it at four and four, but you know, the pressure would be so intense. You would have lost three out of four going to Carolina, which is clearly a better team, a, a place where you haven't won in a while. So I, I think at that point, you're pretty much playing for your entire season. And it's getting, now it's getting too late in the game. You know, three and five, I mean, it, it doesn't knock you out of it, but you, you're halfway through the season and you've already got five losses. You probably can't afford to lose more than one or two more games total. And, you know, even then it's, it's – you know, unlikely you're going to get in at nine and seven. In, into well, most a likely, card, the division so. winner in this division is going to have ten or more wins. Yeah, absolutely, because you got two teams like New Orleans and Carolina that are sprinting out there. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's pretty much curtains at that point, and everybody will will know it. And it's just going to be a rough. And you know, you still got really tough games. I mean, you mentioned Washington; they still got to go to Baltimore and play there. They got to go play at Dallas, which I know. The Cowboys are 3-4 and four now, but they just picked up Amari Cooper. They're not giving up on the season. Dallas is a, a tough place to play. They lost there a couple years ago. When they had they won, they might have had a chance to make the postseason. Um, you know, you've got uh, – what else they got? They got San Francisco at home, which I think they could probably handle. But then you got all those other NFC South teams coming mm-hmm. here, Carolina, New Orleans, Atlanta. So, you know, there's not easy games remaining – uh, you know, sort of once you get past this midway point, it's all hard, uh, with the exception of maybe the 49ers. And, and you know, I look, I wouldn't <laughs> – against the Bucks, everybody's circling them as a possible win, so I wouldn't discount anybody. So, uh, eh, eh, no, the, the good The good thing about the second half of the season is the Bucks will have, I believe, five games at home in the back half. They do. Yeah, it out flips. Of, out of eight. Yeah. So, you know, if you can right. get through at five and three – Oh, you feel you know, great. If you win the next two, you're five and three. You feel real great. If you're four and four, you're still okay. You know, three yeah. and five would be bad. Yeah, five and three, I would, you know, if you're Tampa Bay, you'd feel really great because, like you said, it flips and then got a chance to, uh, you know, the first half with, with your quarterback situation to, to, to win five of the eight. Uh, you know, you duplicate that. Ten and six usually gets you a wild card somewhere most times. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, you, you know, you bring Dirk Cutter back for sure, I would think, at that point. So it's going to be interesting. I think we're, we're at that kind of nervy point. You know, we'll see. And, and they're not – you know, and here's the thing. The health of the team is not good. I mean, the overall health of the team when you've got Gerald McCoy. Think about this. If You know, we're going to lose – you know, you're the Bucs. You're going to say, well, we're going to lose Gerald McCoy and Quan Alexander. How's our defense playing? Eh, not very good. Oh, yeah, and we don't have any experienced corners outside of Brent Grimes, who's 35 and starting to play like it. You know, so – Mm, not a good, uh, not a good scenario for Mark Duffner, who I know, going back to Cincinnati where he coached uh, as a defense coordinator there for a couple of years, uh, probably really wants to uh, wants to you know give it to the Bengals a little bit if he can. But um, those guys are enjoying playing for him and and they're responding well. We'll see if a Darius Taylor, um, who's a great story, is going to be the Mike the Mike linebacker. You know they got him off Carolina's practice squad uh, several years ago, and he's Worked his way up. He's a captain on the special teams, but now he's right in the middle of the defense. Um, they're gonna have to. Devontae Bond's gonna have to play the Sam linebacker. Levante Davis is gonna wear the communicator, so he'll be calling the defense. So you think about communication and how that's gonna go. Um, so there's a lot of moving parts on that defense, and uh, you know everyone's gonna have to play bigger and better than they did last week uh, against the Browns, which I thought they put together a good half, but the second half wasn't good at all. So. We'll see how the Bucks do, and uh, that game, of course, is on Sunday at 1 o'clock Eastern. But before that, 
we got some good college football this week. I mean, I'm excited about that Florida-Georgia game. I'm going to get up there in Cincinnati, turn that baby on at 3.30 and uh, watch what is going to be uh, probably what will determine that division in the SEC. Oh, that game's going to be – I mean, th- I mean, you know, we talked about this the other day and, and with Matt Baker too that, you know, a couple weeks ago you didn't expect this game to be this big or the storylines to be what it is. You know, this team – I mean, Georgia, need, after getting, you know, beat by LSU, they have to win this game. If they want to win the the the, the SEC Absolutely. East, Florida has a shot to win the SEC East, which we didn't think a few weeks ago that would be the case. Right. Um, this game is going to be fantastic in Jacksonville, and with game day there and it, the environment. I mean, I think it's. Yeah. I, I think it takes away from the rivalry some to not be at home and home. You know, but at the same time, it's kind of cool that it's at a neutral place every year that you've got fans from both there. So I, I go back and forth on that. I mean, I know the, the Iron Bowl used to be that way. It used to be played yeah. in Birmingham between Alabama Birmingham, and Auburn. Yeah. And now it's at, at the home stadiums, mostly because the Iron Bowl is falling apart and they could get more people at the home stadiums. But there's yeah. something cool about that it's at, it's at a neutral site because you just don't see that in a rivalry game. In, in college football today. You know, it's cool It's cool when one team is not dominant. I mean, the, for years there, Florida was beating Georgia, and then it flipped, and Georgia's been hammering Florida. But when you have both teams that are that are uh, you know legitimately good teams nationally and have a shot at beating the other one, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. It's like a Super Bowl, you know, where, you, where half, the, half the fan base is mm-hmm. – you have what you have is excitement on every play. You know, when you go to yep. a home game, uh, no matter where the game is, you know – the, the the home crowd's gonna gonna roar when their team does well, and it's gonna be kind of quiet when they don't. That's not the case. I kind of compare it to when I go over to uh, London and you know those games in, in Wembley. Um, you know the fans really don't have allegiances necessarily to either team, so they kind of scream for both, and it has sort of a Super Bowl feel to it. And um, that's that's kind of the case. But you have to have you have to have both teams playing well. You know, um, otherwise the stands empty pretty quick and. You know, you'll either see all red or all orange. You know, it's just it just depends on how it's going. But what's going to be good about this game is, is this going to be one of those slabberknuckers, the big uglies, all that stuff. You know, you're going to run the ball. You're going to have, you know, it's going to be man's game. You know what I mean? Like, this is a man's game. Mm-hmm. You know, no one, There's no secrets here. They both, you know, Matt Baker had the stat the last 12 times they played, the team that ran the ball better won the game, and that'll be the case this this year, I think. So those are always cool games too. You You're know, watching the big hitting. uglies, the big uglies, the big uglies. Oh, but yeah, oh, no, that that's right. You give me a Florida, Georgia, oh boy, I tell you, everybody. Keith Jackson with Frank Bros. I miss Keith Jackson. He was the best. He was the best man. And it's too it's bad Ron Lundquist isn't doing this game on Saturday. I know, I know. It's not the same. I like. I really like Vern. Vern's seventy-five, though. I mean, oh no. I mean, the time, it's uh, the time I, had come. Absolutely. But he sounded great. He still sounded great. Him and Gary Danielson. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, you hear that. Da, 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 it's Vern Lundquist, and and I like Brad Nessler know. a lot, who's doing the games now. Brad but, does a good but job. Vern yeah. is, you know, Vern's in that category with Keith Jackson and and Brent Musburger. I miss him doing Saturday Night Football for ESPN. Oh, you can still you can still hear him doing the Raiders. Oh, games. absolutely, <laughs> and doing his Vegas Sports Network uh, shows. <laughs> but I like East Carolina. <laughs> all you go, all you Alabama quarterbacks get the pretty girls. Yes, he's made a few of them famous. <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of the creepy old man of the. Yeah, and AJ McCarron is now playing for the Raiders. So I know it's perfect. 
It's perfect. Hey, Jay, you still, you still got Catherine. You can still talk about Catherine in the stands. That's right. The lovely Catherine, Miss USA. What was she, Miss America or something? Miss like that? Alabama, I think it was. Miss Alabama. Miss yeah. Alabama. One time I did, uh, not to segue out of this too much, but I, I, I did a game at uh, Ohio State. Ohio State played Notre Dame at, at Ohio State, and they mm-hmm. hadn't played in 100 years. And this was the great Ohio State teams with, like, Eddie George mm-hmm. and Joey Galloway. and You know what I mean? They were... They were pretty good. And yep. Notre Dame had a pretty good team that year. I can't remember who was on it, but they were good. And so it was a big, you know, was, I, I spent like 10 days in Ohio. I was, I was going between um, Major League Baseball playoff between the Indians. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash boast. ...and somebody, and the Reds and somebody, and then I would stop in Columbus in between the two series, and I did a college football game. Then the Bengals played... Uh, the Miami Dolphins, it was like David Shula against Don. So it was a crazy, crazy 10 days in Ohio. But uh, Keith Jackson did the game. And Keith Jackson was one of my idols, you know, listening to him on Saturday. I mean, college football was Keith Jackson. Mm-hmm. You know, it sound, college football sounded like Keith Jackson to me in my days growing up with him and Frank Broyles, you know. And Frank Broyles was the old Arkansas AD or whatever years ago. He said, Keith, he's a linebacker, Knoxville Cold Pepper. He had this long, deep, and so, but you just, like, Keith was, like, in the line. There he was in the buffet, you know, before the game. It was like, that's Keith Jackson. And what's always cool when you hear these announcers and you just hear them talk, and they're just like, here, can I have a hot dog? You know, and it's the same, it's like the same <laughs> voice, whether it's, you know, uh, oh, who's the, uh, Ben Scully or whoever it is, you know, it's just like you instantly recognize, before you see them, you hear that voice, and you're like, wow, that's pretty cool. That's Keith Jackson, so. That's my trip down memory lane with him. Okay, and then uh, also in the state, we got Clemson at Florida State. This isn't going to be much of a game, I don't no, think. I mean, maybe no. the Seminoles find a way to hang with them. Um, I don't know what they would have to do, turn them over maybe Yeah, you get a, times, it, but... you get a pick six. You get a you know, special teams touchdown. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe Clemson th- you know, turns the ball over a couple times, keeps it close for a half, half. you know, three quarters. Yeah. But, yeah, I can't see Clemson losing this one. Yeah, in fact, they're actually getting better. Um, they made the change at quarterback, and they have a down-the-field threat now, which has made them more dynamic as an offense. So this eh, this could get ugly. And then USF at Houston, I'm, you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of rooting for USF to uh, to prove to everybody that they can get up for a big game, and they just kind of play down to the level of their competition because they've had some squeakers against guys, you know, teams like Tulsa and uh, UConn that they should have wiped the floor with, but. Uh, this this will tell the tale. If they're any good at all, we're going to know it if they can make a game and or win this game at Houston, right? Well, Houston was the team last year that knocked them off to give them their first mm-hmm. loss, as everyone was you know, maybe hoping or thought it might be undefeated USF or UCF at the end of the season. Um, but Houston took care of that. The good thing for USF is you know, I don't think they've played their best game by far. Nope. Uh, but the other part is, is they're used to coming back and, and being down late in the game. So if that mm-hmm. happens in Houston, it's not an unfamiliar territory, and they've done it on the road a couple times as well, including in, in Chicago against Illinois at, at Soldier Field. So 
you know, you're, you, you know, whatever happens in the game, you know, Blake Barnett seems to do better in the fourth quarter. And so you're, you know, you never feel like you're out of it if you're USF, which is always a good thing in, in a football game. That's right. No, you don't. And, you know, I, I look, I think USF has done a nice job. Again, I think people took for granted that because of what they did with Quentin Flowers and those guys that this would just continue. And it wasn't automatic, and yet they managed to keep this winning streak alive. And last year when they lost to Houston, everybody still talks about it. They had that game, and then they gave up a, like a fourth and 23 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, fourth and, and 24, I believe it was, yeah. Yeah, and so, I mean, that was just one of those, you know, you make a play – Seems unfathomable you would give that up in that situation, but they did, and that's why they lost, and, and uh, the rest is history. So they'd love to be back in that situation again, needing to get off the field on 4th and 24. So we'll see. Um, I think they'll be in it. I think this will be a, a pretty good game. And um, so, yeah, lots of great college football this weekend. Looking forward to that. In the meantime, break up the Rays, man. What's going, what's going literally, on? Literally, break them up, the, the coaching totally. staff and front office. It's incredible. I mean – you know, here's a team, and, and, and like we talk about this all the time. You know, have, are the Rays changing baseball? You know, can they, have they done it again? You know, this whole notion of the opening pitcher and how did they win 90 games with this they, with this baseball team that everybody thought they were, you know, for all the most part, just just tanking and selling it off, and you know, spare parts and grab bagging, and you know, had some young guys come up late, but they managed to win 90. Well, uh, I guess Kevin Cash, who you know, sign an extension, and good for him. He deserved it. Um, but apparently he did the right thing with his coaching staff because now everybody wants their coaches. Rocco Baldelli, one of the great Rays of all time, uh, is now the manager of the Minnesota Twins, and Charlie Montoya, who was, the, of course, the uh, bench coach for Kevin Cash last year, now the manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. So, And assistant GM uh, Hein Bloom is one of two finalists for the New York Mets GM job. It's incredible. Yeah. Neil, Sol- Neil Solon's asked a, a question on Twitter, and he, he reached out to Jason Stark and a few others asking it, and I don't know if he got any answers, but I'm going to add something to it. His question was, when was the last time in baseball that a team had two coaches elevated to managerial positions in the same season? Mm. And, it's and, hard. But I'll add one further to it. On a team that didn't make the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. But if you don't think the Rays are changing baseball, they're going after their guy. And then Hein Bloom may get the Mets GM job as, as well. Baseball, I mean, they've always taken notice of the Rays from the shifts back 10 years ago when they started doing that yep. on a regular basis to baseball thinks the Rays are, have it right and are doing the right stuff. And, and, you know, and well, the, the results showed it this year. I mean, you know, how could you deny that? 90 wins with right. that team. And, and, and you that, know, they, all they always youngsters. get all these athletic players that can play multiple positions that are sort of, you know, um, plug and play anywhere, outfield, infield. You're starting to see that a little bit with the Red Sox to some extent. they got guys that can play a lot of different places. Of course, their outfield is great. The defense, the emphasis on the defense, always been emphasis on defense and pitching. Um, but – I'll, I'll tell you where the analytics aren't working. They're not working for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, no. You know, when you, you know, when you go with a lineup that takes your three best power hitters out of it, I think that's a mistake. And I think that they're going to have to flip that around now because the, the Red Sox have taken just a commanding 2-0 lead. And they, this is when you watch these games, Steve, at least for me, I don't think the Dodgers belong on the field with with Boston. Well, let's take a step back first. 
a series is never in doubt until someone loses a, a home game. And the Dodgers That's haven't lost true. a home game yet. So That's they, true. they lost two games on the road. Now you're going to go to L.A., and the Red Sox are not going to have the DH in their lineup. Uh, whether Mookie Betts moves to second to keep uh, J.D. Martinez in the outfield, but someone's going to come out of the lineup. Yep. So let's see, let's see what happens when they get back to L.A. So before you write the Dodgers off completely, but... And I've said this for years. Analytics is a very valuable tool, but it's a tool, not the tool. Yeah. And do I want to lose a series with my best guys on the bench? No. Game after game? Absolutely not. I'd rather go down swinging with them. Hell yes. Bellinger needs to be on that field. Why? You know, he played all 162 games this year. Now he got into both games and pinch hitting rolls late. But, but you get one at bat. But you're not going to put him out there? Come on. Like I said, analytics is a great tool, and it tells you a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But what it doesn't do is tell you momentum, how players are feeling, what's going on in their home life. You know, one of the things I struggle with analytics is okay, so this guy doesn't hit left-handers very well. Whoever it is, you know, player X. Well, what happens if all offseason that's all he worked on? But the Mm -hmm. analytics says you don't hit left-handers. So because you didn't hit left-handers five years ago, you'll never hit them again and never get a shot again. And that does. And here's the thing about like in 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 a World Series or, or Championship Series, or whatever. Like, okay, you do this all year. Analytics only work if you're committed to them for 162 games. In other words, you, you know, you can't. If you're going to do it, you have to do it from game week mm-hmm. one all the way through the last week of the regular season. So 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 you let the percentages actually work for you. You know, over 500 at bats or mm-hmm. over yep. 200 innings pitched. You know, like that's what you need. You need a large Sample size because in a vacuum, you're going to have the favorable matchup, and there's going to be that odd time where it doesn't work out. But you keep putting the guy back out there, and if you're committed to it, and you have to be, the law will the averages will play out through 162 games. The problem is when you get into the World Series, it's the best of four, mm-hmm. and you have the adrenaline of it's the World Series, right? Mm-hmm. The focus is more narrow. Um, you know, it, it's it's just everything's magnified. And, and big-time players perform. And, and I don't care if you're talking about Little League, okay, or whatever it is, right? You may have guys out of position, but I want my best nine mm-hmm. players playing in championship games. I just do. It was always the you knock know? on Bobby Cox in Atlanta, who won 14 straight division championships but only got one World Series victory, is that he could manage over 162 games because it was a long season and there's never too many right. ups, never too many downs. But when it's a best-of-seven series and maybe it's only going to go four games, right. you have to manage differently and handle things differently. And the knock on him was he never managed any differently. He managed a playoff series like it was the regular season. Right. And you got to put pressure. You know, the, the one thing about the Red Sox is they came right out, guy gets on base, and the first pitch he's running. You know what I mean? Like, it sets the tone. Like, we are coming. We are going to play this, you know, just hair on fire. And that's, that's what you have to do. And, and from that standpoint, like, sometimes you have to gamble with, okay, matchup may not be in our favor, but you know what? My best guys are on the field. You can't die with your best players on the bench. You just can't. It's just not – there's not – it's not – the series isn't long enough. So the Dodgers would have to win two out of their next three just to, just to extend the series and get it back to Boston where you would think the Red Sox would have an advantage. So they need to get on the horse here pretty quick. And speaking of horses, <laughs> what about your boy, David Price? What a legacy he has turned around in a couple of weeks. I mean, 
Here's a guy that was what zero and ten in the postseason, something like that, mm-hmm. with like a six ERA. Yeah, twelve and postseason starts had not won a, a game. Yeah, and in the span of I don't know a week, he's won two of the biggest games in in Red Sox history, including a World Series game where he was was darn near perfect. Yeah, good on him. And Nathan Avaldi's looking really good and looking for the great. Red Sox as yeah. well too. So former race pitchers impacting this series big time for the Red Sox. Really, really good. No, Evaldi's going to make – I mean, the Rays have made him a ton of money. That guy's going to sign for like $90 million somewhere after this series is over. So, Well, he always, had, he always had that talent. It was the Tommy John surgery, yeah. you know, basically in a contract year that, that messed him up. And, and, you know, he didn't get that big contract, so he came to the Rays for, you know, mm-hmm. to rehab and that. So, But, you know, good on both that's of what, David Price and Nathan Evaldi. That's what the Rays do, man. Well, Wilson Ramos, Nathan Evaldi. you're injured. Johnny Venters. I mean, they, they do, you know. They'll sign the guys the catcher, cheaper. The and, catcher. And, yeah. uh, Wilson uh, Ramos, yeah. Yeah, Wilson Ramos did it, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Make them some money, win some games, get some hits, and and off you go to uh, to get the free agent contract you like you wanted before you got hurt. So, And then there's the Tampa Bay Lightning, man. Uh, I guess I guess that one nothing um, loss that we saw in seems like the first game. Of the, what was it the first game of the season? What was it? They only scored one goal. Is yeah. that what it was? Yeah, they, yeah they, against Florida, they won 2-1 in the shootout. Then they only scored seems one. Seems like 100 years ups. ago. Yep. Well, we, we shouldn't have worried too much about them because now they've won six out of their first eight games. Yeah, they're going to be okay. Uh, that, game, that game Wednesday night against Colorado, which if that's a Stanley Cup preview, which Pierre Maguire on the broadcast was saying he could absolutely see that, and I would be okay with that because that was some fun hockey. Up and down the ice. Fast I teams. I did not watch the game. Play the yeah. game well. Uh, both goalies were outstanding in that game. Great on the video court. Nigel uh, Kerwin and, and crew on uh, a challenge um, where Caught Tyson offside, Jones was right? offside Bison, yeah. because his skate was off the ice. I mean, you know, his, mm-hmm. if his skate was on the ice, he's onside. But his back skate was I lifted that up. Call, but I, I do guess, too. I guess they have to draw the line there somewhere, but hey, I hate but, that call. But the Lightning got, you know, got that called against them in the playoffs a few years ago, if you remember they Jonathan did. Drouin. Yeah, uh, yeah. I hate the call too, but it is the rule. So you know that's yeah. well, that's, and they've clearly said that's the rule. Yep. Um, I think if your you know your skates behind the the line, you know maybe not the blade, but if the boot itself is behind the line, then it should be onside. But that's it doesn't matter what I think. They don't really care. Yeah, it was a big win for them, and um, you know I guess uh, Stamkos and Kucherov had something going in that game as well. Well, on the power play, I mean, that was a pretty shot by Kucherov, but even a better move by Stamkos, who after the game talked about how they were really coming out to block his shot. So he said, if, you know, if I'm going to get the puck, I'm going to hold it longer to get them to draw them to me so I can get the, the puck over to Kucherov. And he did, and Kucherov yeah. drilled it. Uh, what a beautiful two goal. guys! Two guys hit the ice trying to block the shot that he didn't take. Yep. Yeah, that's, and that's you know, that's exactly what – you know, they kind of set that up all game as the, the players were coming to Stamkos to yeah. block that shot all game. So he said, well, I'm going to adjust, which is what good players do. That's what I saw Marty St. Louis, tw- Louis tweeted about that move and mm-hmm. was saying how, you know, how you just you have a feel, you know, like you can, I, I'm not quoting his tweet directly, but it was basically like, you know, when you can see the play before it happens, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like just that that's that's experience. You know what I mean? That's. That's being an elite player, you know, being able to set people up and uh, at that speed, you know, and then and then make that play, because in the back of your mind you filed it away that you know what's going to happen before it does. It's pretty cool. Yep. And through eight games, the Lightning still only given up one penalty kill. It's incredible. I mean, now it, is that coaching? Let me ask you, because they they struggled with the penalty kill all last year. 
I think, look, the one thing I'll say is they're being more aggressive on the penalty kill. Um, the forwards are coming out further and challenging, you know, the point a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think some of it is is uh, some of it's coaching. I think that's they've they said they want to put more. Pro- it's obvious that they've made a change in the way. Last year they kind of sat back a lot in their box. Yeah. Um, where this year they're 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 being more aggressive out on the point. Um, I think you know Anton Strawman talked about it early in the season. You know he said, look, the the penalty kill wasn't awful the whole season last year. But they went through a really rough stretch that the numbers looked really bad that you could never rebound from. And if you remember in the playoffs, it got a lot better. Mm -hmm. So, you know, maybe a reset, a new season. But, you know, I I think a lot of it's just they're being more aggressive on the penalty kill. They're not sitting back and waiting. They're trying to, you know, how many shorthanded chances have they had this year? They've had a bunch, yeah. You know. um, And a goal in the first game. Absolutely. So I think think – it's some of it's a coaching change or a philosophy change of we're going to be more aggressive and, and, and challenge and, and force the action instead of sitting back waiting for the other team to do something. And the goaltender is awfully damn good, too. That always helps. Well, and when your goaltender's that good, you can afford to be more aggressive. That's right. You know, when you have Andre, and you had Vasilevsky back there last year, but, you know, let's not forget, too, with Vasilevsky, and, and it's easy to, to forget. This is only his second full season. I know. I know. Is that. You know, so so some of it is okay. He went through a whole season last year, and and now you have confidence in your backup goalie more than you did last year. I mean, Louis Domingue's much better oh, yeah. than Domingue was great. last year. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, so now you have confidence in both goalies back there. So let's be aggressive. And and you know, the other part is, and, and what I never understood last year is why, how they were so passive. Is you're scoring enough goals if you give up one on the penalty kill, it's not the end of the game. So be right. aggressive. I'd rather I'd rather lose being aggressive than lose sitting back waiting. Mm-hmm. Especially when you have as much, you know, it's not like you have no offense, and so you're, you know, really just trying to hold on to giving up no more than one goal a game. That's not what the Lightning have to do. They've turned that around, and uh, Vegas will be a good challenge for them. And, and remember, that game's at six p.m. Yeah, early start, um, three o'clock Vegas time, six o'clock tonight. What is it like out there? It's like Nevada Day or something. What is what's going on? Is that what it is? I have no idea. There's some there's some holiday. I just figured there was some unique. show that night or something. They needed to clear the arena ahead of time. Or something. <laughs> it is yeah. Vegas. I mean, <laughs> Celine Dion, I believe, is performing <laughs> later at the arena. <laughs> Did you touch me like this? <laughs> Let's go for it. <laughs> um, <laughs> who knows? It's Las Vegas. I know Tom Jones is having a good time. We'll have to catch up with him. Next week, if, you, if we if can we find get, him. If we can if get him off the like roof. Dougie. we got to get him off That's the right. roof. Where, where's Doug? <laughs> Doug! Where is he? Um, Caesar's Palace. But uh, They'll get but, out of there in a that, hurry after the game because they'll be in Arizona on Saturday night. That's right. Yeah, so. and he's coming back on the Chata after Saturday. I think they had two days in Vegas, which cannot bode well for any hockey team. <laughs> I, just, I don't have much hope for them in Vegas, and no one does. That's why Las Vegas last year, I think they were like 13-1 and one, their first 14 games uh, when a team had more than well, one day off. At one point, and it was late in the season last year, Vegas had not lost a home game to a team that had they an had more off than day one in Vegas. There. Yeah, that didn't come yes. in off of back-to-back the night before somewhere else. And there's no way that's a coincidental. They're, they're just, no. I mean, it's just impossible to think that that's like, oh, yeah, well, no, I, it's just, you know, yeah. it's a fluke thing. Now, in year two, I wonder how much of it, you know, last year it's the novelty of, hey, we're, we get a night off in Vegas while we're, you know, playing. Sure. You know, but now it's year two, and as you get to year three and four, you know, as, for veterans, is it kind of more of a, you know, oh, we've done this before. You know, no. We don't, we don't have, I mean, I'm not <laughs> no. saying they're not going to go out and have a cocktail or 
gamble a little bit or whatever. Oh, else, they're going to gamble, but <laughs> you know they're playing. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the problem. They're playing cards. Tom tells a great story one time that uh, I, I I don't want to I don't want to mess this up. I'll let him tell it. But basically, they were in New Jersey, <laughs> and they had a day off, and they got in there like in the afternoon, mm-hmm. and there were guys who never made it up to the room with their bags, <laughs> and so. They sat down at the table, and by the next morning, they were still at the table with their bags next to them. Oh, geez. They had not even made it into their <laughs> hotel room yet because they were playing cards. So that's when you know that maybe this isn't going to go well. But uh, And this is why you have voluntary skate arounds instead of mandatory <laughs> as well because some guys may need the rest instead of beating on the ice. Hey, so. I've seen some uh, games turn that way before. I saw the Bengals, uh, gosh, it was, must have been 20 years ago now, uh, playing a really good Denver Broncos team in Cincinnati, and the Bengals were not good, and Corey Dillon just ran all over the Broncos' defense. And it was mostly because the Broncos' defense was all out at 4 a.m., still at the bars partying. Yep. Oh, I've seen it. The Raiders came here, uh, nine, uh, I believe 19, listen to me, two, <laughs> 19, geez. Uh, well, it was 19. It was, it was uh, Tony Dungy's first or second year. It might have been his second year, but one of those early years. And the Raiders had a game here. And that's when Allstott was their primary ball carrier. So it was probably probably 96. And there was a big fight, a uh, big boxing match the night before. And the Raiders got in here. They didn't come early. They got in here like on Saturday. And the game was at 1 o'clock Sunday, which is like 10 a.m., you know, west, east, uh, west time. And these guys' time clocks were all messed up. And it was a pretty good Raiders team. Um, but they all went. They all went to the strip clubs and different places to watch this boxing. And they're all talking about it. Watch this boxing match that you know didn't start till like eleven thirty. By the time they got the the uh, fighters on, and so um, man, the, the the you know the Bucks weren't very good. They took advantage of it. And by the fourth quarter, you could see the Raiders just they're like, we're done. <laughs> I mean, Allstott was just running over guys. They didn't want any part of it. They just looked tired. They looked like they wanted to be anywhere but where they were at in the heat, you know, in the middle of the day. So uh, it does work on some teams. We appreciate you guys being here. We're here every Monday through Friday. It's going to be a busy weekend, so we'll have lots to talk about when we get back to you guys on Monday. And uh, remember, so we got a uh, big weekend of, of football, the college football, of course, and then the Bucks at Cincinnati on Sunday. Uh, plenty of Tampa Bay Lightning stuff over the weekend and the World Series. So lots to talk about. On Monday, and please go see our friend Andy at Continental Wholesale Diamonds. Look for our listeners only. Andy is going to give you twenty percent off all your jewelry prices. I'm telling you, you're going to get the best deal at Continental Wholesale Diamonds. The holidays are right around the corner. I don't know if you realize this, but we're almost to November, folks. And then it's going to be before you know it, the Christmas stuff's coming out. Your wife or girlfriend, they're going to Christmas, want something. Christmas nice. stuff's already out in the stores. Where have you been? Well, it is in some. You're right. You're absolutely right. It comes out before uh, Halloween, but. Uh, nonetheless, uh, your shopping days are going to dwindle fast. And don't be like, you know, if you do have to go last minute, this is where you go, Continental Wholesale Diamonds. Andy is the dude that's going to hook you up with the best prices, the best jewelry. Um, he's going to teach you everything you need to know about diamonds, whether you're looking for a diamond necklace or engagement ring. This is where you go. He's my jeweler. I swear by him. Go in there, tell him Rick and Steve sent you, and, uh, you know, you won't be disappointed. 1715 Northwest Shore Boulevard. Sweet 150 right next to the Penthouse Club. Continental. This will be, yeah, this will be scary down. for you. It's 60 days till Christmas. <sighs> wow. That is scary considering that I have two little kids that... Uh, well, that's, yeah, that's the reason I know. We're already counting down. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, the cool thing is, is that you know, uh, Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays mm-hmm. because uh, I get to eat and watch football. But aside from that, um, it's when all the Christmas stuff comes out. You know, we get all our stuff down the next day, and um, you do, do the house, and it's kind of a pain in the butt. But the kids love decorating, and I'm a big Christmas guy, so like that that kicks off the season. So really. You know, Christmas Day may be sixty days away, but but the actual season itself is is much less than yeah. That. We're less Maybe than four weeks, weeks to Thanksgiving, three, so yeah, like three yeah three or four weeks, which is really cool. Man, the season goes by. I mean, it just is you know you think about it. Um, we're in we're already to week eight now, right? Yeah, this They're is week eight this week. Week seven. Well, they had a bye already, so this is week. They eight. They had a bye, so yeah, this is week eight of the of the football season. There's seventeen weeks. We're almost halfway through the National Football League season. And it doesn't. It seems like we just started a few a few days ago, but um, but it does come at you fast. So, anyway, be here with us on Monday, um, and uh, we will talk to you then. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times for producer Steve Burstick. Have a great weekend, everybody. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food, Food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.